It's time for the car doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's the car doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. And good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston, 100.3 FM, or the WROL app, or online, WROLradio.com. Our phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. I want to thank uh, Joe Ligotti for having me on his program this past Wednesday, and I think the the segment just aired this uh, in the last half hour here on WROL, and that's something we're going to try to do on a regular basis. We're going to try to do it every Wednesday around 5.15 on his program, so tune into that. And um, then we're, at, I think next Saturday, we're going to try to have uh, Joe on the show just to introduce my radio family to him. So if you don't listen to him, you'll get an idea what he's all about. Um, we'll just chit-chat a little bit for a few minutes with him next week. Other than that, I'm still, well, I guess you could call it vacation. I'm not at work, so it must be vacation, right? And uh, although it doesn't feel like it sometimes. But if you want to call us, uh, uh, everything should work the way it's supposed to. And the phone number again is 617-770-3030, And call in and talk about Whatever's on your mind about cars and car problems, if you were here just now, where I am, you would have noticed I just spilled my coffee. Comment, Dennis. Hey, you know, you, you start, you start playing, you start taking your mind off this game, and guess what happens? Things. I know that's that's what that's what happens. That's what happens. I was just uh, looking for an article to read, and uh, only because the headline really caught my attention, and that's the Ram pickup truck. With the new diesel, this is the heavy-duty Ram truck, which I saw at the Boston Auto Show. It has a 1,000 foot-pounds of torque. Now, that's a ridiculous, that's that's tractor-trailer sort of torque. So the new top-of-the-line Ram 3500 will offer an engine that's rated at 1,000 foot-pounds of torque in industry first. It's capable of towing, I think, 35 thousand pounds of towing it has thirty five thousand pounds of towing capacity um the diesel pickup torque tug of war being waged against detroit's uh, truck brands launches into two, 2019 with a change at the top of the leaderboard the re-engineered ram heavy duty 3500 arriving soon at dealerships i think it's actually really soon um uh, is able to crack out crank out a thousand foot pounds of torque the torque figure is not a pr or marketing gimmick although the uh, figure will no doubt feature prominently in ads it's an important measurement buyers who tall do tow heavy things um ed kim auto pacific's vice president of industry uh, anal uh analysis says retail customers of heavy duty trucks are attracted to the ability to haul massive amounts of stuff they also like to have bragging rights of the most powerful truck engine, although retail customers in the segment are more loyal. They're comparing specs, and even if they may not admit off the bat they're willing to consider shopping between brands. I mean, it really is. I mean, people are Ford people, Ram people, Chevy GMC people. 
Uh, and then somewhere in there is Toyota and Nissan. Uh, but they, uh, but Ram says the 2019 3500 with the high output Cummings engine can tow a maximum of 35,100 pounds, which is a huge amount. I mean, that is tractor trailer towing ability just about. Um, so if you're somebody who has a big cargo trailer, uh, big camping trailer, and you really want to do it without having to look at you know, oh, I have a big hill coming up. I need to speed up to get up that big hill. Um, yeah, you know, I think you're going to have to do it with this. Uh, Ram, which has used the Cummings um, built inline six in its heavy-duty trucks for 30 years, edges out Ford's 6.7-liter Power Stroke V8 diesel, which has a torque rating of 935 foot-pounds, which is still an incredible amount. When it comes to horsepower, which is more closely related, um, yeah, it doesn't do quite as well, but... Uh, Horsepower isn't about towing. Horsepower is about uh, getting up to speed, and that's where sometimes it gets a little bit confusing. But the horsepower of this uh, of this truck is when it first. It's kind of funny when it first came out. The original in 1989. I remember driving one of the first Cummings diesel pickup trucks in 1989. I thought it was huge because it was also a uh, dually diesel, so it was one of the first dually trucks I've ever driven, and it was only 160 horsepower, but it was 400 foot-pounds of torque, and it happened to be a manual transmission, which was even weirder, um, and it was also kind of interesting, if you've never driven a standard shift car before, driving a vehicle with 400 foot-pounds of torque, you can't really stall it, you can take your foot off the clutch, no stalling problems, so uh, Dennis, if you're not, if you weren't a, uh, uh, stick shift aficionado, you could easily drive uh, uh, one of these old Ram trucks with a stick shift because it was pretty easy to do. Um, then in 2001, they, they did a little bit more work. They introduced a high output Cummings engine, and that had 235 horsepower and about 500 foot-pounds of torque. 2011, it went up to 800 foot-pounds of torque. Still, horsepower numbers are low at 350. 2016, it went up to 385. And then in 2019, it went up to 400 horsepower, but a crazy thousand foot-pounds of torque. So we'll have to wait and wait and see and see what that see what that turns into, and uh, see if more more and more cars are, are going that way. So we'll, we'll wait and find out. Um, there is at the auto show in Detroit, Lexus unveiled a. Um, LC convertible concept, which I think is going to come out, and it's um, convertibles are sort of funny. They were really popular for a while, then they completely went away. Well, way back when, you know, in the '70s, and that had to do with rollover. Um, you couldn't, they couldn't meet the roof crush standards. Then they came back and they did pretty well, and then they sort of went away. So it's a little bit harder to buy a convertible. In fact, the New England Motor Press. We do this thing called the Ragtop Ramble, which is where we used to get the convertibles from all manufacturers. We would bring them to uh, one location. The last bunch of years has been at the Lars Anderson Auto Museum in Brookline. And then we'd take a leisurely drive up to Kenny Bunkport, Maine, have lobster, and then turn around and drive home. And sometimes we'd stop at the Wells Auto Museum, uh, see uh, the Gould Family Auto Museum up in Wells, Maine. And back then, it was we had 
20 or 25 convertibles because every manufacturer had some sort of a convertible, but it's not so much anymore. In fact, you kind of look around and you, you look and um, it, it, it was kind of funny. I, I was somewhere and I saw a Buick Riata convertible and the Buick Riata was it, kind of an interesting little car. It was very simple engine inside. It was a 3.8 liter V6, but it had a true CRT tube display so it had a regular old-fashioned picture tube display which like all picture tubes eventually didn't work anymore so instead of the touch screen that we see today and it was uh, in the end when they came up with the convertible and they kind of redid the suspension a little bit it wasn't a bad little car and like many times that and george kennedy and i were talking about this at the boston auto show gm seems to do a really good job of finalizing a car and then doing away with it so the Pontiac Fiero was one of those the Fiero in its last iteration with a little bit of fastback with the V6 engine it was a pretty neat little car uh, Buick Riata was the same thing um, so less and less convertibles although they're still out there and, and Volkswagen is going to do away with the Beetle so the Beetles this is the last year for the Beetle and it is um so there goes the convertible. Although I heard back several years ago, Volkswagen's going to come out with a Jetta-based convertible. So sort of a lower kind of lower version of the EOS convertible, which they did away with. So the EOS convertible, very complicated, hard top, great car, but maybe a soft top version of the Jetta might be in the offing. And you know they did that as kind of a retro retro look. So. We'll have to we'll have to see. We'll have to see what's see what's going on with with convertibles these days. But if you kind of look up look through the lineup, uh, you know, starting with Acura, you're not going to see a lot of Acura convertibles, except I suppose if they come out with a removable roof NSX, and then you kind of go to uh, you know what's available. BMW has a convertible, um, Chrysler, very limited production. Of uh, but back back at one point in time, Chrysler had its its Sebring convertible. It had a Maserati inspired convertible. So it had the Maserati engine, sort of in a convertible. Uh, so there was there was some convertibles around, and then you sort of looked at GM. GM still has the Corvette convertible, the Camaro convertible, but they also used to have. Remember, they had the Pontiac Sunbird convertible. There was a Cavalier style convertible. There was there was a bunch of very affordable little convertibles, which there really are not anymore. And same thing with Ford when Ford was building cars, and as they claim they're not going to build cars anymore, except for maybe the Focus, a version of the Focus, not the Focus we know today, but a version of the Focus in the Mustang. There'll still be a Mustang convertible. But as more and more manufacturers are going to SUVs, uh, there goes the convertible. So they're they're often who knows who knows what's going to happen. Well, there's always the Jeep. Yes, that's right. The Jeep is one of those cars that is uh, sort of a convertible, you know. And and at during our uh, ragtop ramble, the Jeep people always send a Jeep because they're like it's definitely a convertible. It's not the easiest to operate. Although Jeep did come out with a new, uh, much easier to use soft top in their Jeep now, so that makes it kind of nice. And people people love Jeep. One of those things that. Um, in its basic form, like a Wrangler, 
you're, you're, it's one of those vehicles much better off buying it new than used. And, uh, you know, the smart money people, whoever they are, certainly not me, but the smart money people will tell you that you should always buy a one-year-old used car, you know, maybe a certified used car, because you'll get a, you'll let somebody else take the depreciation off of it. With a Jeep, they don't depreciate. You're better off buying it new, get the full warranty, get everything you need for it, and and because you try to buy one that's one or two or three years old, and they're ridiculous amounts of money. And if, depending on what you want to buy, you can buy a pretty basic Jeep that's still pretty affordable. And like you pointed out, Dennis, it's still a convertible. I was flipping through some magazines this morning, and I uh, flipped through, um, I don't know, it was Road and Track or one of those, and and uh, I, I saw the I saw the article, I saw the ad for Harbor for Harbor Freight and Rock Auto, and. Um, Rock Auto still, if you're a do-it-yourselfer or even a even a shop owner, and you're having trouble finding parts, and this isn't an advertisement. In fact, we had the we had the owner of Rock Auto on the program a couple of years ago, and you can get name brand parts pretty pretty inexpensively, uh, relatively speaking. But you can get you can get some pretty good parts. And I had a I had a woman call me not that long ago, and she brought her car into the Ford dealership because she had a problem with the car and Ford said, well, you know, the parts on a national back order. We're not going to be able to get it. It's going to be a while. She went to her independent mechanic, her independent repair shop kind of said the same thing. Uh, well, Ford can't get it. We can't get it. Um, I checked with rock auto on their website. They had the part in stock in different manufacturers, including the Ford part. And, they could get it to her the, with the overnight shipping. They could get it to her the next day. So I, I said to her, well, talk to your independent repair shop and tell them to, you know, go order it this way. And A, you're going to get your car fixed right away. And B, you're going to save yourself some money. So something to think about. Our phone number, phone lines are open, by the way, at 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. We touched on this last week. But uh, this was something I've been thinking about for a while. Consumers' monthly payment amounts are climbing to dangerous heights as vehicle transaction prices and interest rates continue to rise. And this is according to Cox Automotive. The average new vehicle payment last year, $533 per month, yeeks, $533 a month, exceeded 10.2% of the median um, household income in the U.S., uh, Jonathan Smoke, chief economist for Cox Automotive, told reporters here that new vehicle monthly payments of more than $600 are alarming, and they're driving up the average. Americans can't afford to spend 10% of their total transportation. Smoke said, if it's more than 10% to buy a single vehicle, how do you handle the average two vehicles per household? Last year, 46% of new vehicles were sold with monthly payments of more than $500 according to data from Dealer Track, a Cox Automotive company. The rise in monthly payments comes as new vehicle buyers flock to the SUV and truck market, and the share of new vehicles sold at lower prices, price points declines rapidly. There's no question affordability influences things. It corresponds to a massive shift that we've seen in the types of vehicles being sold, according to Smoke. Shifts in consumer preference from sedans to crossovers and trucks drove the market of new vehicle transactions under $30,000 in 2018. Market share at the price point dropped to 34% last year. In 2012, nearly half 
of the new vehicle sales were sold at that amount. I remember, I guess I'm old enough to remember, when they, when they came up with a luxury tax, the luxury tax kicked in at $32,000. Now they're saying, you know, the average transaction price is, you know, in the $30,000 range. Um, vehicles priced under $20,000 are almost disappearing. Their market share dropped to 2% in 2018 from 7% in 2012. Meanwhile, vehicles priced at 50000 and above rose to 23% of new vehicle sales market last year compared with 6% in 20, 2012. Less than five years after, uh, you know, so that that's that's just a, that's a big, that's a big chunk of people's income to be able to, to be able to look at that. So, hmm. I, I was talking about Ford a minute ago. Ford plans to launch a 300-mile range battery electric crossover inspired by the Mustang. Hmm. What does that mean? So you get a crossover vehicle that looks like a Mustang? It's part of a broader electrification plan in which Ford will spend $11 billion, that's with a B, on the technology by 2012 to introduce 40 electrified vehicles globally within that time. That includes 16 fully electric vehicles and 24 hybrids or built-in or plug-in hybrids. Ford in late 2017 created a dedicated team dubbed Team Edison to study EVs. It's not a question of when, it's how fast, according to uh, um, how Tai Tang said of the technology's adoption. Certainly we have to do our work to build the demand and educate our consumers and drive down the cost. Again, if you're looking at... Um, you know, things like the Chevy Bolt, it's a $40,000, $40,000-plus vehicle. You know, that's a pretty significant chunk of people's income. And you, you say, well, we're going to build these electric cars. And if there's no tax incentives, if you have the ability to do that. Um, I guess I wasn't, uh, wasn't aware that uh, how Tai Tang uh, w had to do with uh, technology that way. He was, uh, he was kind of an interesting guy. He was, uh, I, I remember interviewing him um way back when he was on he was on our program and he was the head of ford svt the special vehicle team way back then and it was a um, i said to him you know hey, how, how did you i hate what is going on over there i hear clang bang boom all clanging banging in the background i i don't know what i don't know what's going on i don't know what's going on uh, I don't know. It's all kinds of stuff going on in the background. Sorry about that. We'll have to go to the sound. We'll have to go to the. We'll have to go to the soundproof studio. I could go to my tool shed. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I could do that. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> who knows? Stuff could fall off the walls. Uh, anyway, so uh, we'll, we'll tell we'll tell the studio audience to keep quiet. I have a studio audience, you know. Really? Yeah, yeah, not really. What, anyway, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. How Tai Tang? He he's um he's Vietnamese, and I said to him, how you know you you were you you were on the Ford Mustang design team, and he said when he was a kid and he lived in Vietnam, he remembers seeing the Ford Mustang, and he absolutely fell in love with it. And when he was just a kid, when he was ten or twelve years old, he said, "I want to go to work for Ford Motor Company." and he came to the United States and went to went to college and ended up in the Ford design team. And now apparently he has, uh, 
I'm not sure what he does at Ford these days, but he is uh, he is all about the Ford electric electrification, and uh, you know they're, they're gonna they're gonna try to build demand on those things. So you know GM and Tesla both um, have hit their 200 unit plug-in sales targets, uh, at which the federal EV tax credits begin to phase out. Ford is around 110,000. Ford had some pretty good, you know, Ford had the little C-Max, which nobody nobody knew about because Ford didn't tell anybody about it. And it was a pretty good little vehicle. And uh, the Fusion plug-in hybrid, and, and Dennis had a, a Fusion hybrid, and you liked it, right? Yeah, Dennis liked his hybrid. So there's that. Yes, I love my uh, hybrid. I was answering yep, the phone, sorry. Yep, that's all right. That's what you're supposed to do. Um, so, uh, but, you know, they could, um, you know, Ford is uh, around 110,000 users and can presumably offer the $7,500 credit, $7, credit to consumers when the Mustang-inspired crossover debuts because they haven't sold enough of their own vehicles yet. So, Mustang-inspired crossover. I, 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 I just see a bad drawing there somewhere, but... Uh, well, we'll have to wait and see. And uh, our phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. If you have a question about cars, car problems, I don't know, whatever's on your mind, automotive advice. I'm not that great with relationship advice, but although I told although I told Joe Lagarde I was, so uh, maybe. Let's talk to Tom. Tom, good morning. Hello. Hello. Hey, John. How you doing? Hey, John, last week you had a caller, the guy has, who has a you know, classic Ford, and he was having yep. problems with it. Well, that's his, his carburetor flooding all the time was the same thing that I was talking to you about mine back in right. December. And I have a Jeep. But he mentioned he had an auto-like uh, carburetor, and that's what they put on the Jeeps, the Motocraft, basically, I hmm. Motocraft Auto-like. And I had the same, you know, it's got to be pretty much the same design because mine's a 74, I think it's a 69 or something. But when you said the fuel pump, that's what it was. I had my carburetor off six, seven times, yeah. checking this, checking that, nothing wrong. When I finally changed the fuel pump, that solved the problem. Uh -huh. what, what I would tell them to do is put an inline clear filter, one of those plastic ones like mm -hmm. I have, yeah. just do that first. Then run the car, and then if he notices in a day or two, like it's full, when he, he starts up and runs it for an hour, it'll be full. And if that's draining back, and you can see where it's lost gas, it's drained back, mm -hmm. that's the problem. That's what my problem was. And once I put a new fuel pump in, it stayed yep. up there, and I never had the flooding problem again. Uh -huh. so, just something for him to try for the $30 of a pump. And I know he said that he replaced his pump yeah. a year or two ago, but... I still would give it a try. That's my opinion. <laughs> well, you know, can't, you said can't hurt to him right away. You know, that was yeah, the first thing yeah. you said. And the next thing, uh, John, I, I see all these ads, electric cars, 100 miles to this. How do you compare the cost of a gallon of gas with the miles they get to electric? I just cannot understand it. Not that well. Different. Yeah, I, you know, I don't think I'm that smart either. But, um, you know, you have to look at the cost per kilowatt hour. And, you know, the basic the cost per kilowatt hour is is a little bit fuzzy math because. That's right. Yeah, because, you know, the cost per kilowatt hour, I don't know what it is, you know, 15 or right. 16 cents. But the problem is when you add in all the other fees, it goes up pretty high. Um, 
but still, if you're where it becomes a challenge, if you're going to go out and buy a $45,000 Chevy Bolt, and even if you looked at the cost of operation as pennies per mile, mm -hmm. the equivalent tire is is half that you know half that price yeah right right so, oh, so, so, so the cost yeah. of the vehicle into the equation you're saying right yeah i mean it'd be mm -hmm. one thing if you were gonna if you could go out and buy an electric i don't know ford mustang and a regular yeah. ford mustang and you said they both cost the same amount of money right, it would be cheap right. it would be cheaper to it would be certainly be cheaper to buy the electric one the problem is it isn't going to be the same amount of money it's going to be you know 40 percent yeah, more expensive sure. and you would have to keep that car forever to mm. get your money's worth out of it so right. you have to decide you know my old boss who you know is you know retired and pretty well off bought two model three teslas so they were i don't know, say they were fifty thousand dollars a piece but he bought them because he also wanted the $15,000 worth of tax deductions that he could get by buying the two cars. And he, likes, and he likes the performance of an electric car. Not everybody's in that market. And the same thing with the Model 3 Tesla. It's one thing when they said it was going to be a $30,000 car. So, and it's sort of like a Camry. It feels a little like a Camry inside. You know, it's one thing, and then it's another thing when it's a $50,000 car, and, you know, you have right. to, you know, and there's, with the Model 3, there's no free charging, so, you know, if you do charge it up, you're charging it up at home, or you're paying so much, you know, per kilowatt hour. You know, we have a charging station at work, the first two hours are free, and then after that, it's a couple bucks an hour. So, on the rare occasion where I drive an electric car that has maybe 150-mile range, I drive to, you know, drive it around a little bit, drive it to work, plug it in. And it might take six hours to charge it up. Well, mm. that's going to be, you know, that's going to be $4 to charge it up. Well, for $4, I could buy a gallon and a half of gas, I guess. And I could drive, you know, my even my little SUV, I could drive, right. you know, 40, yeah. 40, 45 miles. So, which is, you know, which is, you know, probably close to what that is. So, you have to, you have to, like, kind of do the math. But, you know, most people who buy, most people who buy electric cars are buying them because they're a little bit of a novelty. They buy the first of everything that comes out. You know, they, they're the ones that bought the Apple Watch. They're the ones that bought the first iPhones. You know, those right. are the, kind of the, the early adopters of that sort of stuff, and that's why they buy them. Right, but I'm watching a program on there. They, they have certain roads now. I forget what they call them, EV roads, you know, expressways mm -hmm. across the country. And then that's, they're setting all this, these uh, stations right. in. But you're traveling, and what do you got to do? I mean, sit there for hours to charge up? I mean, well, sitting down in Florida or something, you, you know? <laughs> well, eventually, uh, I mean, with some, with some of those systems, like the Tesla and... Some of the mm -hmm. some of the other ones, you can yeah. get about a seventy percent charge in twenty minutes, oh, so okay. it's not yeah, too too bad. bad. So, but yeah, still, you're you know by the time you stop at the charging station, you know get a snack, use the bathroom, you know whatever you know. So you're still killing time. You're still you know you're still looking for right. something to do for a few minutes. You know, there's sometimes where I get go to a uh, there's this one gas station near my house, and it's gonna it seems like it has the slowest pumps in the world. And you know, I, I, I turn I turn the pump on and I'm I'm kinda of walking around the car, I'm cleaning the windshield, I'm looking mm -hmm. for stuff. And you know, it's probably taking 
three or four minutes, and it seems like it's taken too long. So right, eventually right. there will be, you know, and, and long after I'm dead, there might be highways that actually charge the car up while you drive over them. You never know. Well, that's you know? what needs yeah. to be done. Yeah, that's yeah. key, I think, to, to, yeah. to everything there. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I, I just still don't get when I watch these programs and they take an electric car and they, you know, they give you the formula and it says, you know, it's 100 miles to the gallon. I just don't understand. I've never seen anybody lay out that formula. I mean, even yeah, I, a kilowatt, but yeah, you know, this, I, I did it once. <laughs> I did it once for, uh, for my boss. He, he said, you know, how, how do these electric cars make any sense? So I sat down mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, took out my, you know, took out my high school math skills and figured out how much per kilowatt hour, figured out how big the battery was in the car, because that's going to tell you how how much range you get out of it um uh, and then and then tried to do the math and then i tried to compare it to the exact as as easy as you could to the exact equivalent car it's one thing to compare you know if you compare it to say even a mm -hmm. toyota prius that gets 50 miles per gallon um and i like the prius a lot i because right, i think it's right. where it's a hatchback it's roomy and it you, you, you can kind yeah. of abuse it as far as space wise but it's not you know, it's it's more equivalent to a Toyota Corolla than a than a Camry. So, right. but it's priced more like a Camry than it is like a Corolla. So exactly. you have to kind of, you have to kind of look at all of it and and determine determine how much you you want to you know you want to buy. It's when gas prices go up and people say to me, "I want to get a car that gets better gas mileage," and I'm like, "Okay, which what kind of car do you have now?" And they'll have you know right you know. Toyota, you know, a Ford Fusion. And they said, I said, what, what are they offering you for a trade-in? Well, $10,000. And I said, what are you going to buy? Well, I'm going to buy uh, uh, Toyota Prius. I said, how much is that? Well, it's $28,000. Right. And I'm like, you know, for $18,000, you can buy a lot of gas. That's right. And, you know, people don't always think about that, you know. So, right. so uh, you, ha you, have, you have to look at, you have to look at, you know, what you have, what you want to do, and you know, where you want to go from there. Yeah, I think the real problem is that practicality just can't be 100% unless you're going to drive, you know, <laughs> something right. so basic. Right. You know, I mean, it, right. it's just uh, not there today. Because like, like you mentioned earlier, uh, that article you read about, you know, the cost of what people yeah. are putting out for payments. And that's why I said when I went to the car show, that's what I noticed, how cars were just very expensive. Yeah. I think, but I think another kicker on that. Even if you were to buy the car, it's the excise tax. Oh, yeah. It's really another kick in the face, you know? Think about yeah, it. You it a yeah, that, $40, that, that first, car. yeah, yeah. That first year, you get whacked pretty hard with the excise tax. And, and it's funny, I, I don't know the particulars in... But in Rhode Island, there's something called car tax, which you're trying to eliminate. And I know more people that keep older cars in Rhode Island because they don't want to pay the, the expensive car taxes that they claim they're right. going to phase out. But, uh, you know, but I, I don't That's what I, I mean. Know. That new yeah. car purchase, big sales yep. tax. Then you get hit with a big excise tax yep. for several years. And that's real yep. money. That could be seven, eight hundred yep. bucks. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. You know, yeah, it, it's, fun, it's funny <laughs> watching... Watching, watching the, uh, watching people walk around the auto show, and have sticker shock. I remember it, it reminds me of the time 
I was I was at a, I was at the supermarket, which I very rarely ever go to. And there was a guy wandering around the supermarket, and apparently he had been to the supermarket less often than I have. And he's like, I can't believe how expensive everything is in the supermarket. And it's the same thing if you haven't been car shopping in ten or twelve years, and you go, you know, like like I said earlier, you know, I remember when the luxury tax kicked in at $32,000, and now that's, you know, people go, yeah, hey, it was only a $32,000 car, and that used to be luxury tax. Right, yeah, right. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. All right, someday, someday we'll both have the answers, Tom. <laughs> yeah. All right, enjoy uh, your time. All right. Florida, John. You all right, deserve thanks. it. You're a hard worker. Right. Take care. All Bye-bye. right, thanks. Bye-bye. 617-770-3030-617. Pardon me? Can I interject something, too, on that conversation? You can interject whenever you like. All right, so... Do you are part of the show, you know. I, I, I understand. Yeah. Um, but do the electric cars need to get oil changes and stuff? Um, no, there's not a lot of maintenance involved in an oil change. Occasionally, they might have a transmission service that needs to be done because they have a lubricated transmission, but it's pretty well sealed, so it's not like it gets contaminated and the fluid breaks down. So, And the same thing, there is a coolant system, cooling system, but again, it's very, very, you know, but no, no real oil change. Hybrids, on the other hand, do need their oil change right. periodically. Um, be- also, sorry. Also, there's now like a lot of cities, like a lot of big cities, Boston being one of them, are talking about congestion taxing. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of cities will be like, oh, well, if you have a electric vehicle, then we won't tax you on that. So that's something else as well. Yeah, they they're, haven't figured out yet. Yeah, it's con- congestion pricing. They're trying to they're trying to establish that in in Manhattan now. So if you what they're doing is they just want to keep cars out of Manhattan. So they're saying you know it, and and they're not even opening up to electric and EVs. They're just trying to say stay out. Yep, so they want to have they want to have basically tolls going in and out of the city that is it will charge you a ridiculous amount of money so you don't take your car in the city, which to me bothers me a lot. Because it means that people with a ton of money are still going to go, I don't care how much it costs to bring my car in the city. And working people that have to try to get into the city to try to do stuff are going to be penalized by it. And that exactly. bothers me. But but that's politics, and I don't tend to do that. So. And the big, the big one that I always go back to is the carbon emissions. Yeah, the batteries cost, cause a lot of carbon emissions, but it's not continuously causing carbon emissions by using the vehicle itself. Yeah, no, there. You know, there. It. There was a time where all we cared about was hydrocarbons and carbon monoxide, and now we care about CO two. Which you know, CO two was the. You know, I used to call it the happy gas. No one cared about it, and then all of a sudden they found out CO two adds to global warming. Um, the problem is, is sort of the same thing. It's like yeah, batteries. You know, there there is that kind of deep dark secret of batteries that they're hard to recycle. Although they're almost 100% recyclable, um, uh, lithium-ion is a tricky thing to recycle. And the other thing is some of the power plants that are used to make electricity and other things um, are not that clean, but they pay, they pay a tax to be dirty. Um, the best way to make hydrogen, for instance, the best way to make electricity is with nuclear, but who wants that reactor in your backyard? Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, enough enough of this kind of stuff. Let's talk to Rick. Rick, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Well, good. Well, let me first uh, make a comment, then I'll give you my question. 
my comment is I like pumps that are slow, especially on my motorcycle, so you don't splash gas outside the tank. Well, that that is true, but you can you can be careful. You know, can you can yeah. pump slow. I, yeah, I, I was I had a, I had a diesel pickup truck that I was driving, and, and of course it had like a fifty gallon tank, and and uh, uh, I was amazed how much faster the diesel pumps pump because because why you're pumping you know one hundred and fifty gallons of diesel into a tractor trailer, so you want something that that pumps pretty fast. So, uh, but yeah, so yeah, I, I can understand with a motorcycle how you'd want to pump slow, um, yep. and 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 not fill all the way up to the top so it doesn't slosh around when you go to put the when you go to put the cap back on. So, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. Um, now, here's the question. Uh, the other day I was driving down the road, and it was almost like I was driving through smoke. There was so much dust from the salt they put down. Now, we all know what uh, salt does to the outside of the car, but um, what effect does it have on the engine, you know, getting into the air filter and such? That's why you need to change your air filter and such, because uh, air filter and cabin filters, it's kind of funny. It's... Um, the, the there is a there is almost every manufacturer has a very specific interval to change air filters and and if your car has a cabin filter and it will say change it more often if you drive on dusty dirt roads the problem and here in Massachusetts we don't have a lot of dusty dirt roads but we do have pollen we do have salt dust and sand dust when they when they do the roads, and you know after they put all that stuff on the roads and it dries out, it ends up making like you said a cloud, and that's why you know people say to me, well how often do I change those filters? And I said, well if you looked at the owner's manual, it says change it at thirty thousand miles. You change it when it's dirty, so you pull it out. You tap it. You tap on the side of it. Knock anything out of it that's in it, and then either put it back in or put a new one in. So it it will that that um, salt dust, sand dust, which I guess is just dust, and pollen and other stuff that's floating in the air can clog can certainly clog up an air filter and a cabin filter. My wife's car has a uh, has a, an air filter and a cabin filter in her Volkswagen, and each time it went to the, it was kind of funny. Each time it went to the dealer, the dealer said, "Well, you know, you ought to think about replacing those filters." And they did it based on just how old the car was. So they wanted to replace it at, I think, at a year old, and then they wanted to replace it. At, I guess they wanted to replace it at two years old and at three years old. And I said, and she said, "No, no, my husband will change it when it needs to be changed." And I ordered. I actually ordered them from Harbor from uh, from Rock Auto. Um, and I ordered the exact same German manufacturer filters. So they were exactly the same ones that Volkswagen used right from the factory. Only they didn't say Volkswagen. They just said the name brand on them, which also is what it said on the factory filter. And put it put it in put it in the cars. And neither of them were really that dirty. That was the funny thing. They were both pretty. They were both pretty clean. So they were doing it just based on time. They didn't even do it based on looking at the filters and seeing whether they were dirty or not. They just said, hey, the filters are three years old and the owner's manual says to change them, when in fact they weren't really dirty at all. So, um, yeah, so you're, you're, you're right, Rick. Uh, salt, salt and sand can clog up a filter. It can get dirty. So that's why when cars go in for oil changes, it's not a bad idea to pop, pop out the air filter and see what kind of shape it's in and see, see if it needs to be changed or not. 
Well, um, I live in Massachusetts, and my home, when I first bought it, was on a dirt road. Yeah, but but now they but now they paved it. Now they probably plow it. No, we paved it. <laughs> oh, you paved it. Okay. Well, I I I also sort of live on a dirt road in Massachusetts, and uh, but it's uh, and it gets pretty dusty. So. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So, but it's only, but it's only, uh, you know, it's only a thousand feet long. So it's, uh, I'm not driving in that much dust. But it does. But you know, it it is it is funny that you know you do have to consider all those things. And pollen is one of the ones that nobody really thinks of. How many times have you driven driven through a cloud of pollen, and you 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 think about your your engine air cleaner and air intake is like a giant vacuum cleaner. It's sucking in air as fast as you drive. And it's uh, it's literally sucking up sucking up the air, and it's kind of it's kind of funny. Uh, Mercedes and Volvo, I think, the air that goes into the climate control system, and the air that comes into the tailpipe, they claim that because of the filtering systems and so forth, um, comes out cleaner on the other side. Well, where's all the contaminants go? It ends up in the filters. Well, um, actually, if it makes it past the filter, does it do any damage to to the engine? Um, at that point, my guess is it's so small, it wouldn't make any difference. That would be my guess. Yeah, that would be my guess. Now, if somehow you, I don't know, got it, got it wet somehow, and maybe you got a little bit of, we'll say salty liquid, but I don't, I don't think so. And that's, and that's why, for instance, you change your oil periodically, but if you drove, if you drove a thousand miles, say you were driving from, I guess that's not quite a thousand. You were driving from your house to Flint, Michigan, and it was and it had snowed the entire way, and they sand and salted the roads. Every road you drove on um, probably wouldn't do any damage to the engine, but could the filter be dirty by the time you got there? Maybe, could be. And that's why sometimes uh, my wife's you need to doing, doing almost that today. So, <laughs> oh, is she? Yeah. Well, tell her to be tell her to be careful. Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> she says I'm an old old lady. <laughs> All right. Well, Rick. So that's that's the best I can come up with for an answer, I guess. Okay. It was just, just one of those questions yep. that pop into mind. I, yeah. I, I, hey, it's it's one of it's the same it. kind of questions that pop into my mind all the time. So yeah. There you go. Yep. All right, thanks, Rick. Our phone lines are open at 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Uh, why don't you give us a call, uh, make, uh, make Dennis uh, earn his uh, $3.40 an hour. We need to take a break and pay some bills. We'll be right back.
And welcome back to the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL. And, uh, and Dennis probably knows this, but is that the first time that the term heavy metal was ever mentioned? Yes. Sort of like metal rock? Yes. yes. So In that's that song. why that's considered the first heavy metal song, but what they're actually referencing is their motorcycles. I know, but... That's about all I know about music. That's it. So, you know, you get what you get. So, um, and we, 617, go ahead. I was going to say, um, John from Quincy dropped off the line, so all we have is Tom. All right. So if you would like to join us and you don't want to wait, 617-770-3030 is the number. Let's talk to Tom. Tom, good morning. Yeah, hi, John. Uh, looks hi. like the subject of the day is electric cars, huh? Uh, Sometimes. Hey, I got a question. Uh, you may have already discussed this in length, and I missed it, but uh, kind of like the elephant in the room is the how do they heat these things up in the winter in days like this when you're climbing your car and at work sitting outside for like eight hours? I can understand at home, most of these people afford $40,000 car, they got a heated garage, but how do they, do they have to design from the ground up some uh, super efficient heater? How does it work, you know? Yes, yeah, some of it does actually work. It um it sort of works like a heat pump sort of thing, so like an electric heat pump in a in a house. So oh, yeah? it it yeah, so it does have coolant that gets hot. The older electric cars actually had a uh, had a, uh, a a regular heating grid, which wasn't very yeah. efficient. You turn the heat on, and the battery would drop to nothing. That's what I was fast. thinking ahead. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But the the new ones actually use actually heat coolant. Um, with with the electric motor, so that's what warms it up. And when they're plugged in, if they're plugged in oh, charging, okay. yeah. you yeah. you can you can take advantage. You you can actually set a timer right. for yeah. you know fifteen minutes before you get in the car, and it will actually yeah, warm the yeah, car up yeah. while it's plugged in. Yeah, yeah. So that that's sort of it. But but the other thing is on a we've done we've done some testing at AAA on. You know, everybody assumes that in cold weather you're going to lose a certain percent of your range, yeah. and that is true. Um, but also in hot weather too, um, we oh, put, yeah, we put it draws a lot yeah, of time. Yeah, yeah. Well, not even that. Just the temperature affects the battery. So um, out at the yeah, AAA yeah. office yeah. in Calif- California, they have a regular EPA certified four wheel engine uh, chassis dynamometer. So we put a Tesla on it. We chilled the room down to about 25 degrees. And where that Tesla might have normally gone 250 miles between charges, it dropped to about 170. And then they cranked up the heat to about 95 degrees or 100 degrees, and that 250 miles dropped to about 200. So temperature in its own can affect can affect range too so that's that's one of them so electric cars you know they they have you know some they have some challenges here and there, but they're also you know they're also kind of unique and it's kind of funny I saw an uh, advertisement from uh, uh, 1969 Motor Trend magazine and the and the title on it says um, steam electric turbine or gas um, could be the car of the future so way back in way back in 1969 which to me doesn't seem that long ago um, yeah. 
they said they said you know it could be it could you know cars cars of the future whenever the future could be because it shows a guy sitting in something that looks like a Formula One style car but it's a but it's a uh, it uses a bunch of uh, Autolite batteries and the thing oh, could go yeah. 138 yeah. miles an hour and it went on Bonneville Salt Flats but the idea you know and I've said this for years that you know back in you know the 1900s you could buy a car that ran on gasoline you could buy a car that ran on diesel you could buy a car that ran on um batteries you know baker electric was one um or you could you know or ran on i don't know wood chips and and um uh, i don't know something else you know well i guess yeah yeah yeah, i guess you could actually buy a car that uh, or not buy it but technically you could you could somehow make it run on manure and i don't know i don't even want to know how that worked no no not no no, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 you know, it, 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 as much as say it can't be a problem because people are buying them left and right and it's not an right. issue apparently, but I often wonder how they did that. And, uh, I suppose yep. you can write off 20% of the range and that's the name of that game, but that doesn't discourage people from buying them because they're definitely going to manufacture putting billions of dollars into the Volkswagen. And so oh forth, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's you know, future. I would rather, I will, I will say though, I would much rather see the manufacturers put billions of dollars into electric cars than billions of dollars put into self-driving cars oh, me because too. because most of the most of the public doesn't really want self-driving cars it, it seems and, no way to me yeah i don't care yeah. i don't care it's not an interesting subject and i just don't care yeah, yeah. and you know and eventually always in the back of your mind. yeah always in the back of your mind yeah. what if something goes wrong yeah. man you're still gone yeah. i know you have to yeah at the controllers and so forth but I don't get it. But, but what's the, a lot of yeah? But what's yeah? What's to me? What's the point of having a having a self driving car that you have to drive? You I don't, know, I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> you know, if you have if you have to sit, yeah, exactly. If you have to sit there posed over yeah. the steering wheel, better, I, I want to be yeah. able to. I want to be able to take a nap. I know, yeah. and all that money, I don't get it myself. But uh, real quick, I think I, I, I might have told you this before. I talked electric cars. Uh, this tells uh, this tells a big story. Uh, I, you know, this past summer, I went to a car show in the Bedford area. Do you did or something? I don't know who they were. Good car show, typical. Cars lined up, mm-hmm. hooked up, and beautiful engines and stuff. Guy parks his Model 3 at the end of the line with a hood up. <laughs> 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 I think he was just trying to be a clown, you know? Nothing to see. But, but there it is. That, that speaks there to There it is, yeah. Future. Nothing yeah. to look at. No, no, no beautiful engine uh, with chrome all over it and so forth and so on, you know, the, the street rides and stuff. And he parks his red Model Three there with a the hood up, and it's so funny. Yeah. No, the the ones uh, the ones I will give uh, you know the hot rodders credit. I saw a video of a guy who took an Audi, I think it was like an Audi A4 or something, and he actually put a Tesla drivetrain in it. So oh, yeah. it yeah. was so it was pretty unique because it was yeah. you know here's something you expected to have a gasoline engine in yeah. you know it was like yeah. the first time I ever opened the hood of a Miata and saw a, a you know 302 V8 in it the five liter V8 in it and said wow yeah. look at that yeah. same thing with yeah. the with the Audi A4 with a Tesla motor and battery pack crammed in it yeah. somewhere and wow. uh, you know just the idea that somebody did it. There's always going to be there's always going to be hot rodders. There's always going to be people to try to make yep. cars lighter and faster. And I like that. Um, Me too. I, I, Me I too. also like them when they make a little bit of noise too. So exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay, John. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. All right. Take care. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. 
is the phone number. I was just looking at an ad for Amsoil, the very first in synthetics. It says here, um, you're bearing shoulder the burden uh, whenever you tow haul or stomp on the gas. Amsoil delivers powerful protection. I remember talking to the to the original founder of Amsoil. It had to be 30 years ago. And he looked at, you know, they measured uh, scar diameter. And um, they're still kind of promoting that. Testing conducted in Indutabra independent laboratories using AMSOIL Signature Series 5W30 synthetic oil against a leading brand of 5W30 synthetic oil in a Ford uh, F-150 with twin turbos. And it does show that over time, you're going to get a little bit of more wear and tear on bearings and none with AMSOIL. So pretty good product. Uh, expensive. And you buy it like, uh, you buy it like, you know, from the Fuller Brush guy, you buy it from the independent AMSOIL salesperson. And uh, just kind of interesting that they're, you know, it's been around for that long and people are, people are still using it. 617-770-3030 is our number. I think we have uh, Mike and Hingham. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Carl. Hey, how are you? Mike here. Hey, how, how are you? Good. Very good. Well, I was trying to stay warm. Hey, got a quick question. Uh, first, uh, I'm a, as you may know, I, I'm a big Lexus fan. And yep. I just got yesterday's consumer reports in the March issue. It says cars, owners, love, and hate. And I'm absolutely flabbergasted that, let me give you three examples. Okay. They list uh, luxury compact cars, Lexus dead last. They say ultra luxury cars like the Genesis G90 and the yeah. Tulsa S, Lexus dead last. Uh, sporty cars, Lexus RC, dead last. And then they go into uh, uh, luxury vehicles, actually second from last. What the hell's happened to Lexus? Is this just a bad issue, or are you seeing any problems <laughs> with them at all? Or what the heck's well, going on? Well, is, let's, or is let's, Genesis paying them off? <laughs> well, I don't think they're doing that. Uh, you know, as much as sometimes I question consumer reports, and, and it's funny, I, I, um, I was at an event, and my boss was there, and there was a woman from... Um, consumer reports and she walked over and uh and um and i had met her before my boss didn't realize that and she introduced herself and and i said uh and he said you know i won't even think about buying a car before i look at consumer reports and i i looked i looked at him and her and i said you know they're just a bunch of white-coated toaster testers what do they know about cars and he's like oh that was pretty harsh and i i said no i'm only kidding because the person who um for years and years for 20 years um, ran the auto lab at, at Consumer Reports, referred to himself as a white-coated toaster tester, and they actually put a bunch of toasters on their test track, and uh, they all wore white coats, and that's where, where that came from. Um, I think, you know, Lexus, I think when I, Lexus, the, the original LS Lexus, the 400, right. Consumer Reports would even say that was the car they judged every other Lex, every other luxury car from. Because it was solid, dependable. Um, Lexus is one of those companies that it's you know. And I remember I stole uh, stole this line from somebody else, but they are truly the belt and suspender company. They you know they they don't just put one system in; they run redundant systems for everything. Yeah. So if something fails, it's it's gonna it's still gonna perform the way it's supposed to. Um, I think what's hurt Lexus a little bit is their cars have gotten a little bit boring. What did they put? You you mentioned the categories that uh, Lexus was dead last in. What was at the top of that list? 
Yeah, let me go grab that grab that, that page again. So yeah. it was, uh, for example, like on the IS was the uh, Telsa 3, then the King, Kia Stinger, kind of give you an idea. Okay. On the Ultra Luxury was a G90 and the Telsa Model S and the Mercedes and the BMW 7. Yeah. On the sporty cars was a 911, the Corvette, and the Challenger. But, I mean, ahead of Lexus yeah. RC was a Mini yeah. you got to be kidding me. Yeah, well, I mean, well you know, let's, yeah, yeah, I mean, let's, let's, let's back up to that, you know, that category with the Corvette and the, um, you know, you know, Corvette's a great car, no question. Porsche 911, great car. Um, you know, the, the, the Lexus is, you know, maybe some people can consider it not quite as, you know, not quite as powerful for the money, you know, in the IS version. Um, the IS, the IS is a great car, you know, but people say, is it as good as a, you know, BMW three series? Um, eh, you know, there's some, there's, I, when they look at cars that owners love and hate, uh, some of it has to do with sort of the passion of the car. The Kia Stinger is a fantastic car, but right. it rides a little too hard. Um, they, they have the suspension cranked up just a little too hard. It's a little too firm. But it's also a, they, you know, it one of those cars that is truly a surprise. You get in the car and you're like, "Wow, this thing's a Kia, really!" And the same thing with the with the Genesis. You know, let's face it they had a, they had to change the name from Hyundai to Genesis to get people to buy them because people are like, "I don't know if I want to buy it. I don't know if I want to buy a sixty seventy thousand dollar Hyundai." So we'll call it a Genesis, and maybe people kind of forget that it's really a Hyundai. They're great cars. They're absolutely great cars. And the difference between the big Genesis, which is a really good car, and the big Mercedes, which is a really good car, is about $30,000 difference in price. Now, the people who look at that stuff really closely will say, yeah, it's $30,000 difference in price. But if you look really close, there's $30,000 difference in car. But you have to look really, really close at things where the the Genesis might use a little bit of plastic here and there, where the Mercedes might use aluminum. Um, you know, even if you looked at, you know, if you looked at ultra luxury, you look at a, you know, you look at a, a Rolls Royce or a Bentley and you look at the wood and you, you and it's all match grain wood. It's, you know, they, their veneer is, you know, as better than any, anything you'd find on a piece of furniture. Um, and that's why you pay for it. But I think when it comes to cars that consumers, it's not, uh, let's face it, you, and, and, and like you said, you're a Lexus, you love your Lexus and, you know, and you would tell people, you know, it's the only car you should buy is Lexus because you really like it. Um, and, and that's what happens. You, you know, you, you talk to people that own Mini Coopers, they love their Mini Cooper. They're, they're in the shop once a month, but they love their Mini Cooper. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I'm looking at it right here. It says Chevy Camaro got an 81 score, and something called Lexus RC, which I'm not familiar with, got a 58. Yeah, uh, 58. The, the, yeah, and the Lexus RC is, you know, that was Lexus's attempt at a at their at a sports car kind of thing. And I drove one, and I drove the, um, I think I drove the RC 350, so the smaller engine version. It was a, it was a interesting looking car but it was for somebody who was looking for a sports car kind of it might have been a little bit of a disappointment but you know still if you if you if you had to if you had to compare 
you know, when you look at cars like this, you have to look at, you know, how dependable is it? You know, I, you know, the, you know, in my life of owning cars, the car that was the most fun I ever owned was an MGB. It was the worst car I ever owned. But if somebody said to me, done that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was like, you know, I, you know, I got to meet more people while I was broken down by the side of the road. Um, but it was also, it was fun to drive. It was at the time it was seemed pretty fast. You put the top down, um, you know, and, and it was like, Oh, I love that car. Did I love that car in the rain when I had to like reassemble the top in a rainstorm? No, no. It was, but you know, you look back and even if you look back at old Volkswagens, people are like, Oh, I lived the Volkswagen microbus. It was such a great car. It blew over in windstorms and you couldn't go up steep hills. So people, know. you know, so people do, you know, people do, you know, they fall in love with the car they own. And sometimes they buy a car and they go, you know, I bought this Lexus because it was a great car. I got an email this morning from a woman who's hasn't bought a car in 12 years since she bought a Honda Pilot. And she decided she wants to buy something smaller and more fun. So she's looking at a BMW 2 Series and an Audi A3. Um, both great cars. She's thinking about buying a convertible. Um, fantastic cars. But she also says, I keep my car 12 to 15 years. Um, yeah. a BMW two series and an Audi a three as nice as cars as they are. When they get the, when they start to go out of warranty, you got to start to put the same amount of payment money aside to pay for the repairs. Um, they handle good, they perform well. And I also kind of in my response back to her said, uh, you're going from a good size SUV to a small, relatively impractical, fun to drive little car. Um, take it overnight, go to the grocery store with it and find out if you can put your groceries in it. Cause it may not, you know, so you may buy it and say, I love this car. Well, I don't like it when I go on vacation cause I, I can only put one suitcase in it. I understand. I agree. I mean, I'm, I, I'm yeah. looking outside. My wife has a 2004 LS 430, uh, with 75,000 miles on it. I would drive it to San Francisco this afternoon. And oh yeah. Reliable. Yeah, yep. I mean, is that reliable? Yeah. But uh, hey, I'll let you go. But what, what, one right. last thing is, I'm gonna I'm gonna read right now. Ask the car doctor. Should I buy a 2019 Santa Fe? That's my next job in life. Not there you go. Boss, there you go. Today. Okay. All right. Thank you All very right. much for speaking. All right. Take me. care. Bye bye. Well, at least I know I'm in the Boston Globe today. So should I buy a 2019 Santa Fe? Hmm. It has all the bells and whistles on it. Didn't do that well in Consumer Reports or one of the one of the magazines. I'm driving a 2017 Hyundai Santa Fe Sport, um, very similar to mine, and it's uh, so it's a year older. It's got uh, ten times the mileage on it that mine does, and it seems to be holding up pretty well. I might say. Um, I think we where are we going, Dennis? Mike in Bridgewater. Yes, sir. All right, let's go to Mike in Bridgewater. Michael. Yes. Good morning, John. Good, good morning. I think, I think the, the last three call have I think the last three callers were all Mike, weren't they? <laughs> it's a triple. I don't yeah, know. I guess. I no, guess. Tom, yeah. Mike, and Mike. Oh, oh, Tom, Mike, yeah, Mike, Mike. Mike. Okay, and, yeah, yeah. Hey, Mike. Okay. And, all right, maybe that's a law firm. Anyway, yeah. um, good. Good morning again. Um, warranty question for you, please. Sure. Um, what I'm getting on the on the uh, dashboard is maintenance required. See the dealer. And you get that message. But then when you go to the actual thing that looks like a little wrench, I still have about 5,000 miles until they do the next oil change. Okay. Can you tell me what is the difference in that, and does it have any effect on a warranty if you don't do the in-between the 10,000 oil change kind of thing? 
Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. What happens is it's all, what kind of car is it? <laughs> it's a Lexus. It's a yep. ES hybrid. Yeah. Okay. And it may be, see, the way that's set up, there's, there's all little parameters that come up that it might mean that, you know, there's a 10,000 mile in between oil changes, but there might be a 6,000 miles in between tire rotations. So you don't really know why it's telling you to go in. Yes, I know. And as yeah. you have said before, when you go into the dealership, um, you know, it's, it, it's not uh, 10 bucks. and thank you for stopping by no, a cup of coffee. No. Yeah, yeah ex- exactly. So, um, for instance, um, I was, I think I was looking at my wife's car, and it has, you can go into the menu, and it says, oh, maybe it was my own car. It was my own car. And you can go into the menu, and it's like, and you can set, like, they had it set for oil changes every 3,500 miles. They had it set for tire rotations every 6,000 miles. And they had it set for something else every... 10,000 miles. Well, okay. I don't necessarily agree with that because they had the maintenance all set for severe maintenance schedules. And so all it really does is, you know, comes on maintenance required, not a check engine light, not anything broken, but, but it just says maintenance required. And that maintenance required tells you, well, you need to go in and do something to the car because they want you to come back to the dealership to spend spend some money on it, uh, but you don't know really what it is. So there should be a way to go into the menu to see what is actually required at that little, why that little wrench came up. But chances are it's something like, uh, you know, a, a filter change or a tire rotation or some other kind of very generic sort of thing. Okay, and and my question, I guess, is if you don't do that, is there an impact on the warranty? You know, because it's still under warranty. It's a 2016, so I still have a, a little bit left. And um, I just want to know if you don't do that because, you know, the maintenance minder comes up, but you still have the wrench tells you you've still got 5,000 miles mm. till the synthetic oil change. So yeah. I get maybe the oil change. I understand that. Right. But yeah, the, don't do I, the, the... Yeah, I... My gut says there shouldn't be any difference. You know, it should be that it should be that if it's if it's under warranty, it's under warranty as long as you do the maintenance that is prescribed with the car. So this is where I would take the owner's manual out, look in the owner's manual, and say that you have, you know, twenty, you know, thirty thousand miles on the car, whatever's on it, and look in the owner's sure. manual and see, and see what should be done at thirty thousand miles. Because you may find that some of what's coming up with the maintenance reminder is a little artificial, where the owner's manual is going to say, well, based on your style of driving or whatever you do, that's when, that's when you do what has to be done. Okay. So, um, um, when I've looked, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's one thing to say we're not going to cover it under warranty because you didn't do the cooling system service, or we're not going to cover it under warranty because you didn't do oil changes, or we, you know, they're, they're going to cover it under, you know, things are going to be covered under warranty if an air filter's dirty. Things are going to be covered under warranty if your tires didn't get rotated. Things are going to be covered under warranty if someone didn't open the hood and just check all the fluids. So, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of, there's plenty of room for, 
for a little bit of flexibility in there. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You know what? You know what it is. Um, you get that minder, and it, it, you have to physically turn it off all the time. So right. you know it's kind of there all the time, and you kind of forget about it. But then you go back and say, because what I found when I've looked in the owners' manuals, you find that that middle thing it gets done at the you know the oil change right. anyways. So that's why I was kind of yeah. thinking, wait till yeah, I mean, change. I would, yeah, I would go into the menu for that and see if it can see you know see in the display if it can actually come up what that what that little indicator is for. You might have to go deep into the digital display on the system to try to come up with an answer for it. Okay, I will. Um, um, then, if I may, just quickly change the subject yep. on. Sure. Personal note: How's your infestation? You okay over there, the <laughs> missus? <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so far, I, I didn't so, know if you were on baseball bat duty late to the night. So okay. <laughs> um, so far, so far, so so far, so good. You know, it, it's uh, um, you know we'll, we'll be heading home soon, but it's um, and, you know who 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 knew there was such a thing as fruit rats and you know everything in Florida yeah. wants to kill you. You know, so uh, yeah, so it's um, but you no, know, we have uh, we have uh, a perimeter set up all around the house now, so. <laughs> You're yeah. victorious, John. You, yeah. you, <laughs> we listen, until we they so. see you leave and they say, okay, the coast is clear. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you. Enjoy yeah. the show. Have a good yeah, one. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I think we need to take another break, pay some bills. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. If you want to give us a call, 617-770-3030. We'll be right back. She's real fine, my 
Well, I left Kentucky back in 49 and went to Detroit working on assembly line. The first year they had me putting wheels on Cadillacs. Every day I'd watch them beauties roll by and sometimes I'd hang my head and cry because I always wanted me one that was long and black. One day I devised myself a plan that should be the envy of most any man. I'd sneak it out of there in the lunchbox in my hand. And welcome back to the Car Doctor program on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. Maybe you're listening on 100.3 FM or the app, as Johnny Costello would say, tap the app. You can listen to us. You can put your phone in your pocket. You can listen with headphones. You can stream it live. You can do whatever you want. Um, uh, Smartphones are pretty smart, except for my wife's smartphone that apparently has a virus that something is seizing the home screen, and I haven't figured out how to come up with that so if there's any brilliant people out there that know how to fix that kind of thing drop me an email because i've tried all the online fixes and none of them seem to work but i don't know let's talk to peter in salem peter peter hello john hello peter so you you know so uh you know building a cadillac one part at a time is that a little like having an edsel uh yes uh same thing john but one was built in Detroit, and one was built in Somerville, Mass. That's right. But but I was just thinking that, you know, they they were, uh, you know, did a 58 use all 58 parts? Uh, yes, um, oh, they did. Okay. Right. They, they, right. they, well, they used a lot of Ford Mercury stuff and, uh, yeah. Yeah. and a lot well, of Etzel like... trim. And... Yeah, that's what, well, it's funny. I was, I was out for a ride the other day, yesterday, I guess. And I saw a Pontiac pickup truck. Now, of course, there's no such thing as a Pontiac pickup truck, but it was a. Uh, it was somebody had a. Uh, and I would, if I had to guess at the year, I would say it was mid 40s, maybe a 46 or seven Pontiac that someone kind of cut in half and grafted a Chevy. Uh, pickup truck bed on the back of it so it was this uh, pretty pretty interesting looking combination of uh, Pontiac pickup truck and I looked at it and I went well I'm pretty sure they never made one of those and it was it was a little it was it was very well done whoever did it so um, yeah but but, uh, yeah always always fun to see interesting stuff yeah yeah well now you're down in the sunny south you can go to Winter Haven this winter and see the annual Uh, Etzel I'm 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 only down I'm only down here for hours left so not much much longer so yeah you know some someday someday if i ever retire um you know yeah it would it would be nice to be able to say you know you know i could i could spend the the warm weather months in massachusetts and the cold weather months in florida but um you know this is uh you know this this isn't this isn't uh we haven't figured that part out yet so yeah no no yeah Step by step. John, yeah. I have a question. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, my 2013 Honda Accord, um, the passenger side, I got two f- flats at various times. Uh, front tire was patched. Rear tire was patched. Um, going in for an oil change, and a lot of times they want to rotate the tires. Mm-hmm. Should I... Everything is good. Should I leave it as is and forget the rotation? 
or rotate, and hopefully they don't break. <laughs> no, there should be. I mean, if they were patched properly, it shouldn't be. There shouldn't be any issues whatsoever. Um, okay. The right way to the right way to patch a tire is it, the is a patch and a plug combination. So there's a sort of a plug that fills the hole and a patch that seals the liner on the inside of the tire. So once they're repaired, um, unless, you know, if you said to me, I have a Porsche 911 with, you know, 180 mile an hour tires on it, what happens is sometimes on those, depending on the manufacturer, if you repair a tire, it lowers the speed rating. So they're not rated for the same high speed that they were before. But the tires on your, on your, on your Honda are probably maybe HR rated, so whatever whatever the equivalent is now, and it's not going to change the speed rating, and you're not going to be driving at 100 and you know 120 plus miles an hour, you know, no, on a no. consistent basis. So it's not going to matter. So you can you know you can think nothing of rotating the tires and driving to California afterwards. It's fine. Okay. All right. I just. You know what they say: if it works, don't fix it. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I just uh, it's yeah. going good right now. So no, right. there's there, yeah, but there's no reason when you look at, when you look at a properly repaired tire. You know, if you said to me, you know, they uh, they repaired the tire and the hole was, you know, uh, it was kind of in the sidewall, but the guy tried to save me some money and he patched it and he said it might not last. Um, then I'd be worried about it. if it was just a you know you 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 got you got unlucky and you ran over a nail and it was somewhere between the middle of the tread and they fixed it and it's good to go and never worry about it. Okay, because the the one in the rear, John, it was kind of close to the sidewall. But as long as it wasn't in the as long as it wasn't in the sidewall, it's fine. No, close yep, to no, uh, no. Okay, no, you're fine. You're All good. right, John. Okay. All right. Very good. Take care, Peter. And you'll right. be here for the warm-up. We're going to get the warm-up uh, soon. Well, that, that's that's what I understand. So, uh, you know, my my wife my wife is hoping, you know, that you know flights get canceled and she has to stay. So, well, that John, that's a good sign <laughs> that's because it's working, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. But I got to I got to go home and pay some bills. So, yeah. all right, John. Thanks. All right, as thank always, you. thank you. All right, bye bye. Bye bye. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. I think we have time for one more call if you want to call in and uh, chat about uh, about what's going on in uh, in your life with cars. Before we talk to our buddy Paul Sullivan, uh, the uh, there's a, a story about the uh, the original Beetle billed as the people's car because of its practical small size and value price. Um, uh, you know. Uh, it was one of those cars that you know every everyone everyone liked it. I think um, the uh, New York importer Max Hoffman in 1950 signed on as Volkswagen's exclusive dealer and agent for the U.S. east of the Mississippi River. Hoffman also was a distributor of other European makes such as Jaguar, BMW, and Porsche. His Park Ave showroom was legendary as he managed to sell 157 Beetles. Dealers found that they could. Uh, get their hands on more popular marks if they agreed to take a few of Hoffman's Volkswagen models too. Uh, but dealers soon discovered the low-priced Volkswagens were better sellers than the higher-priced imports. The Type 1 uh, was officially given the name Beetle in 1968, sparked by Beetle mania. It went on to become uh, popular among U.S. suburbanites in post-war America and later a symbol of counterculture in the 60s. On February 17, 1972, Beetle number 15 million 
rolled off the assembly line, surpassing the record held by the Model T for four decades as a top-selling car worldwide. It sold in the United States from 1950 to 1979 and revives and updated in 1998. And it was it was funny. People um, uh, people who uh, live in Quincy area may have seen Volkswagens a little bit later because Harvey Kurtzman uh, was importing some Mexican Beetles at the time. And he was uh, doing some uh, uh, some of the EPA and DOT conversions to them and selling them. And, uh, you know, Harvey's still around. He's uh, I, I talked to him, I don't know, a year or so ago. But he always he always had some something going on and some some little deal he had. I know he had a million dollars worth of old Volkswagen parts tucked away somewhere. Um, but, yeah, they were around. And, uh, and uh, you know, it, it was an interesting car. It's kind of uh, sad to see it go. Let's talk to Paul in Somerville. Paul, good morning. Good morning, John. How you doing? Good. Uh, I've got a question for you. Um, I'm, I'm looking at upgrading the headlights on my 2011 Ford Explorer. I went to one place on headlights and fog lights. They said $650. Does that sound really out of, way out of, out of whack? Well, I think I would start with a... I would start with a small upgrade first and see how... You know, that sounds like they're putting HID conversions in. Um, so they're, they're replacing our LED conversions in, I might go to sort of something a little simpler first, maybe something like a Sylvania, you know, uh, Silver Star Plus or, uh, GE Nighthawk or something that the bulbs are 50 or 60 bucks maybe and see how much better they seem than the original ones. Um, yeah, if you go, the problem is to do, a, a legal, um, HID conversion, which is quite expensive, like you saw, which is about right. They also, to be completely legal, have to be self-leveling. So depending on how fussy the next state inspection you go to, they might look at them and go, oh, these aren't the right lights. And they, they could literally make you take the lights out and put the factory ones back in. So you want to make sure that you have some certificate that says they're a, they're a legal DOT conversion to make sure that they're done right. But you can also just go a slight upgrade to a slightly brighter, whiter bulb, which may get a little bit more light on the road. Yeah, I think right now the halogens and, and yeah. they're, they're yeah. okay. And but um, They're okay. And you, you could know. go, like I said, you could go to a brighter halogen. They're not going to last as long. That's the other downside is um, the LED, one of the things you have to watch out with the LED conversions is, and, and uh, my... Um, Hyundai has terrible backup lights. So I'm going to do LED conversions to the backup lights to get a little bit more light on the road to back up. And you have to make sure that depending on how the car is wired, sometimes you'll, you'll do these replacement lights. You have to put a kit in to make sure you don't have a check engine light come on afterwards because it all runs on this um, uh, computer network bus. And it, it thinks that there's a headlight out because they don't draw the same amount of amperage as the factory lights do so you have to make sure you, you're going to some place where they know what they're doing is, is this something like a place like auto toys can handle yeah yeah absolutely so maybe just give dave uh, a call at auto toys and just you know you know you know uh, talk to you know talk to him and you know kind of tap his brain a little bit and you know even if you don't use him you know get get some ideas from you know what he thinks is the right thing to do based on your model he does quite a few of those that sounds good. All right. Thanks, okay. John. All right. Thanks. All right. Well, we right, are almost out of time, but our buddy, Paul Sullivan, is in the studio. Sully, good morning. 
I'm not talking to you um, because Why? you're in Florida and I'm very jealous and envious right now. Well, you know, it's, um, you know, I live a very simple life. You know, I'm here in my tiny tin house, you know, made out of tin. Yeah. You know, so. Um, What's the temperature down there, Mr. Paul? Uh, it, it, well, it claims to be in the sun. Yeah. You know, because and it's been cold. It's been winter down here. It's well, I know it's been raining because we yeah. have some friends that have been uh, lamenting that fact over yeah. the last week. Yeah, well, so. yeah, last week we got about five inches of rain yeah. in one day. Yeah. Um, but it's um in the according to my little indoor outdoor thermometer in the sun right now, it's eighty two degrees. Well, again, it's yeah. uh, what is it thirteen here, Dennis? <laughs> if that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and it, but but that's in that's in the sun, you know. Uh, um, you know, I'm. Uh, you know, I haven't. I haven't had breakfast yet, and this is this is where I sound obnoxious. I'm going to go out and pick a tangerine off the tree. You sound obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, I was just I was joking to Dennis that, uh, you know, you're you're talking about needing a, a a brighter backup light in your vehicle. I I don't even know what the backup light in my vehicle is. I paid no attention. I I, I couldn't tell you if it's even on. And well, that's why you're here. you and I'm me. <laughs> But you know you you have you have a better microphone than I do so <laughs> yeah but yeah my backup so. microphone goes like this beep beep, yeah. beep beep so so what do you got going on today for the Irish Hip Parade and by the way I understand you were celebrating your grandson's birthday last week yeah we drove down to uh, Washington Claire and me and her two sisters and we uh, celebrated the Zachary Sullivan uh, the big you know how you say the big five? Oh, well, Zach's the big five. So uh, the big five, yeah, exa- exactly. And and also helping out with the Irish Hip Parade. I heard him do a little promo. Uh, we we put him to work. Yes, early That's in right. his family, and, and you know it's, uh, he takes direction well. He did a nice job. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. A, he did a really. He did a really nice job. He's and, a good uh, kid. We're blessed, and um, you know, it's, it's good. It, it, what really is bad is that they're five hundred miles away because they both work in the district, and you know, and they're happy, but. Um, We'd like our grandson to be a little bit closer, and so yeah. we we get down there whenever we can. Yeah, it makes makes for. And are they following your kindergarten advice, by the way? Um. Well, yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Because uh, for uh, uh, for people people who are on Twitter, follow Paul on Twitter. His sixty uh, six moons Twitter handle. Because uh, you put some very insightful things in there. Well, I've been in the in the game for a while, so I just if anybody can benefit from things that that I've learned and somehow even now take for granted, I, I love that. That uh, it, you know, it's very gratifying if somebody says, "Hey, you know what? What you said there relaxed me, eased my mind, made me feel like I wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't abusing my child." So, you know, you, so you don't, so you don't think a four year old should should be taking trigonometry lessons? Uh, yeah, it's funny. I was listening to the radio the other day, and I, I heard an ad for a wonderful kindergarten. I taught multiplication in kindergarten, and I, 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 I tweeted out something to say, you know, that that's good if you're going to learn the uh, quadratic equation in first grade, or more likely to calculate the uh, therapist bills that are going to be in your future from being so yeah. stressed out to learn multiplication in kindergarten. Yeah, yeah. Let let kids be kids and let them learn how to interact yeah, with know, other kids. There's right? no reason that a five year old knows needs to know how to multiply, and if you're boasting that your program is better because the kids in it do that, then your program's not that good. <laughs> the only thing they need to learn how to do is if there's if there's uh, three cookies and four kids, how to split them up. Exactly. Yeah, simple enough. <laughs> and because we don't have the huge families that you know, I have seven um, siblings. But you don't have families of that size anymore. So once kids get to school, 
it really is. They're breaking in, learning to be with other people, and that, yeah. that's really, really important. That that's where the rubber meets the road. There you go. Yep. There you go. Speak. Look at that segue of automotive talk. I know. That's why I did it. Road. I thought there that. You out. There, there you go. I have hey, written the down piano, here, right here. Yeah, say the, say the, this. The <laughs> piano guy's playing. The piano guy's playing in the background, which means Paul Sullivan and the very best in Irish music is coming up right now with the Irish Hit Parade. Until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, and be good to your car. Talk to you all next week. Bye bye. Thank you.